A major development deal gets voted down in Palm Beach County, looking back at the founder of Miami Gardens and looking ahead for Venezuela's new presidential hopeful. Welcome to the South Florida Roundup. I'm your host, Tim Paget. In the next hour, we'll look at why the Palm Beach County Commission rejected a land swap proposal that supporters hoped could alleviate the housing crisis, but opponents feared would spoil land conservation. It's a dispute that echoes across South Florida. We'll also recall Shirley Gibson, who helped create Miami Gardens 20 years ago and who died last week. And we'll ask if Venezuela's new opposition candidate, Maria Corina Machado, can dislodge a dictatorship. All that coming up right after the news. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Bienvenidos, bienveni, bienvindo. It's one of the biggest dilemmas we face in South Florida. How do we alleviate our affordable housing crisis while preserving vital resources like the Everglades? We deal with it frequently in Miami-Dade County every time developers try to push the urban development boundary westward. But lately, Palm Beach County has been wrestling with this problem in the form of a controversial land swap deal involving a 22,000-acre zone that residents voted to protect from development a quarter century ago. The development firm GL Homes, which owns nearly 700 acres inside Palm Beach County's Agricultural Reserve, west of Boca Raton, wanted to build luxury and affordable housing on that turf, including units for seniors. In exchange, GL promised to spend $100 million for a water reservoir project on another Palm Beach property it owns. In May, it looked like the Palm Beach County Commission would approve that swap, but this week, after two commissioners flipped, it got voted down. Do you think the commission made the right call? How do we balance the critical needs of affordable housing and resource conservation in South Florida? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Joining me now is Greg Weiss, one of the commissioners who changed his mind on the GL land swap and voted against it. He's also Palm Beach County's mayor. Also with us is a Palm Beach County commissioner who voted for the plan, Sarah Baxter. Thank you for having me. Let me first, however, pause and, and just read a statement from GL Holmes, President Misha Esradi, um, that was uh, he gave to WLRN this week about the land swap. He said, quote, our public-private partnership would have provided desperate needed solutions for water quality, workforce housing, Jewish community infrastructure, and so much more, all at no cost to the taxpayers. So, Commissioner Baxter, I, I assume you agree with that statement uh, from GL Holmes. Could you first respond to that argument and explain to us why, for example, you felt community, as you told me earlier, community benefits were left on the table as a result of the, of the County Commission in Palm Beach rejecting this proposal? I do agree with the statement. I do agree they provided $100 million plus million worth of community benefits that would have uh, essentially helped all the residents of Palm Beach County and especially residents in District 6. We, which, which you represent. Which I, I represent. Right. Mm -hmm. So we desperately need solutions for drainage and we desperately need solutions to clean phosphorus out of our waterways 
that go into the grassy uh, grassy water preserves. That's where we get our drinking water from. Mm-hmm. And so this was going to solve multiple water issues. In addition to that, in the Jupiter region of our county, we also have been watching uh, the water quality in Loxahatchee River and making sure okay. that it doesn't get saltwater intrusion. Okay. This would have provided the vital land that we needed to build something to push water north. Okay. Now, I'm, I understand uh, Mayor Weiss is back with us. Um, and again, uh, he's one of the commissioners who, who, who changed his mind on this issue. Um, Mayor Weiss, since your side prevailed in this vote, four to three, um, let me ask why you thought this ag reserve land swap plan was good for Palm Beach County back in May when the commission took a preliminary vote in support of it, despite a county staff report that recommended opposing it. But then this week in the final decisive vote, you rejected it. Uh, Could you explain uh, both both of those? uh, I'd be happy to. Okay. Um, It's but I think it's a a bit of a mischaracterization of of what went on. So back in May, the the water project, which was my what I thought was most important, uh, was not fully, um, you know, planned out. It was there were it was it was incomplete, if you will. So in May, I mean, the opportunity, and that's why we have multiple, uh, if you will, bites at this apple, was to give the applicant, give GL time to further develop what their plan was going to be. Okay, so that, is, is that the, the main reason then why you voted in favor was to give the developer the time then to come back to you months later with a bet with a more complete plan. Absolutely. Okay. I mean that, and uh, and so that you t- take that step, and then you know, then when it came to the final vote, I just I didn't think it was fully vetted. I didn't think it was all the, if you will, all the ducks were in a row, and I was not willing to make that decision to change twenty years of precedence um, on something that was not, in my estimation, fully, fully baked, if you will. Okay. So, Mayor, did this come down really then to doubts about the developer's plan for the water reservoir more than objections to building luxury and affordable units on the agricultural reserve? Well, and again, I, I'll take issue because in up in Loxahatchee Groves, that's also agricultural land up there. And that's entitled. So really what we were talking about was taking entitlements from one part of the county and moving it to another part of the county. Um, you know, and, and obviously we've had protections in place uh, for the Ag Reserve and how development happens out there. But at the end of the day, it wasn't enough um, to move me from making those make uh, be willing to make those changes. If, if so, then how will the water reservoir project, which Commissioner Baxter just whose importance Commissioner Baxter just outlined for us, how will that get done now since GL Homes owns the land? So there there's other lands that are available out there. Um, and really what we're talking about, two diff- there's two parts to this water, water resource. One is the conveyance, and that's the ability to move water. And as you know, we are under construction on C-51 cells 12 and 13, and uh, we're going to need a way to convey that water uh, throughout the north uh, right. and central part of the county. But, 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 Mayor, for those of us who don't live in Palm Beach County, if, if you could explain to us what that, <laughs> that acronym or, what, or, or the, 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 the letters and numbers that you just mentioned, what, what does that mean? What is so that exactly? There, oh, be happy to, to share with you. So 
uh, out uh, in the air area of the aggregates where they've been mining uh, uh, stone out there for roadbeds. That is being converted into reservoirs. And there's part of the project's already uh, been completed, but Palm Beach County was not involved in it. However, there are, I want to say it's, uh, I want to say it's about 14,000 acre feet of water uh, storage that's going to be, uh, that is under development now, is going to be finished, I believe, in 2026 uh, is the scheduled completion date. That water is going to need to be moved uh, throughout our system. And so the conveyance is going to need to be developed to do that. Okay. Um, and I'm fully committed to making sure that we move forward and whether with GL or without GL, we make that happen. Okay. Commissioner Baxter, uh, your, your response to the arguments the mayor has just laid out? My, my concern is not having the land, even the land surrounding where GL owns is either residents or if you look to the north or west of it is more wetland type areas. Um, so this to me was the best solution without impeding on our wetlands mm -hmm. and or um, residents. This was a great location and really the only location identified to be able to pot potentially compete that or excuse me, complete that water conveyance. Right. In, in the bigger picture, though, how do you feel that this land swap proposal balanced those two big needs of providing more affordable housing and water conveyance, but at the same time, preserving or conserving a valuable parcel of, 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 of land like the Ag Reserve. To me, this was a vital piece that we needed. We absolutely needed to have the land to get any of the other um, possibilities. I did actually, I do agree with the mayor that Things were not 100% there. They weren't all completely in a row. But what I was saying or was trying to convey was that people, um, excuse me, GL could then mm -hmm. go and actually still make sure it was all done properly because they're not in the water business, but they are really good at hiring the experts who are. Now, GL Homes, the developer, already owned those nearly 700 acres inside the Ag Reserve when Palm Beach County residents voted mm -hmm. to protect the area 25 years ago. Under the agreement at the time, GL could develop 40% of what it owned there and had to leave the other 60% more or less untouched. Do you feel, Commissioner, that by voting down this proposal, Palm Beach County may have been reneging on that 25-year-old agreement with GL? I am not going to speak to something I'm not 100% about. Okay. That was prior to myself taking office and uh, quite a while ago. I'm not sure what they were entitled to at the time mm -hmm. when they did possess it. I believe that the area was essentially without any development rights um, when we decided on this swap or not. And if they did have the ability to build on 40%, I doubt they would tr would have to go through this process. So mm -hmm. that's where I hesitate when answering your question. I'm not sure okay. steps one through 10 of what you're uh, referencing, but I will say ultimately this came down to what would be the best for all or the majority, the greatest mm -hmm. good for our Residents. Well, Mayor Weiss, let me flip that question to you. Do you feel that uh, d did those who oppose the plan, like yourself in the end, feel that approving it would have been reneging on the Ag Reserve preservation agreement residents voted for back then? So a couple of things. First off, uh, the land that that's in question that GL has is on is on the uh, west side of State Road 7. And the rules in the Ag Reserve and development there is an 80-20 rule, meaning you can only ah. develop on 20% of the land 
and 80% has to be set aside. Okay, so thanks they for were clarifying asking, that. Okay. They, they were asking us to change, to change that, uh, that for them as well in, in this uh, application. Mm -hmm. um, Go but, ahead. But, no, but to, to my question, do you feel that, that per, voting for this proposal in the end would have been, as I said, sort of going back on the agreement residents voted for 25 years ago? So residents never voted specifically um, for the protections in the Ag Reserve. The Ag Reserve actually was put in place by the county commission prior to when the bond referendum, when it was ah, put in place. Okay. So what the what the residents voted for was a bond referendum for 150 million dollars to buy land both in the ag reserve and up in north county both of which were accomplished with those funds okay and none of the land that the county had purchased was under consideration for removing any conservation easements okay I'm Tim Paget. You're listening to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're talking about Palm Beach County rejecting a major development deal involving its agricultural reserve. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. I want to take two steps back here and ask you both about the bigger picture. First, could you both remind us why Palm Beach County voters a quarter century ago decided to protect those 21,000 acres now known as the Ag Reserve uh, un under the conditions that you just described, Mayor Weiss. Mayor, Mayor Weiss, let me start with you on that question. So, I mean, I, I, I you know, in, in reading back through the history of this, there, there was the uh, desire to maintain uh, uh, agricultural industry in that part of the county. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was uh, that was the my from my understanding, that was the reason the Ag Reserve was put in place um, is to try and uh, ensure that we have uh, that area of the county is still able if there is interest in continuing to pro uh, provide agricultural opportunities. Mm -hmm. And Commissioner sure. Baxter, would, would you agree? I mean, is that what residents felt was so important back then to, to, to keep the agricultural character of that area? I, I do agree, but I will add also they didn't vote to do that. They voted for the bond right. to purchase exactly. those acres. Yes. Okay. Right. But but with the intent, intent right. of yes, preserving That's... agricultural land, the intent was to give the farmers the ability to stay there as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, I feel it's very unfortunate. A lot of farmers seem to be selling their land mm -hmm. to developers. So, Mayor Weiss, twenty-five years later, how does Palm Beach County and and for that matter? that matter, Broward County and Miami-Dade County. How does it find itself struggling to juggle the needs for resource conservation like the Ag Reserve and the water reservoir, but also for affordable housing, I mean, which is a genuine crisis in South Florida? How do we juggle those, 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 those competing needs? So let's, first off, in Palm Beach County, we have about 440,000 acres in agriculture production in the county. So the Ag Reserve is, is uh, an important por uh, part of our county, but it's only a small portion of our agricultural lands in the county. Mm -hmm. um, and so in, in balancing this all, I mean, um, I think, and, and I have been a big proponent of looking to develop our workforce and affordable housing uh, near our employment centers, on our transit lines, um, and typically looking for high density areas, not saying we don't need them in the suburbs uh, and out in some of our more, uh, I call it uh, ex-urban areas, 
that's also, I mean, we want people to be able to live near where they work, um, which I think is very important if we're going to help manage both the mobility issues we have. And then as it relates to our water resources, mm -hmm. um, ensuring and in, in that we have the place for water storage, that we have the stormwater facilities that we need. But I think okay. I think thoughtful, you know, thoughtfulness, we can mm -hmm. balance all these needs. Okay. Commissioner Baxter, I want to put the same question to you, but first I want to take a call from Michael in Palm Beach, uh, who wants to know why do they have to build anything? Michael, what exactly are you uh, getting at there? You're on the air. Thanks. Born and bred in Miami-Dade, specifically the city of Miami for over 50 years. Remember the urban development boundary as well right. as mm -hmm. Armando Condino and all the wonderful developers who got their way to build inside the urban development boundary. Mm -hmm. Now live in Delray Beach, lived here for about six years. And I remember no commissioner in both counties has ever addressed the fact that you can say that the land is uh, finite. You don't have to build anymore. And whether they come or whether they don't, that's it. There's no more building, period. Right. Do build where you can, and that's the end of it. Why okay. is, are we even entertaining this? Okay. Commissioner Baxter? I, I will tell you that prior to this vote, the developer already was entitled permit everything to develop 4,000 units in one area we were voting on. So this wasn't, um, we didn't have the ability to stop any building altogether. All we had the ability to do is to decide where it went. Okay. Well, thanks very much. Sarah Baxter is commissioner for Palm Beach County's District 6. Greg Weiss is mayor of Palm Beach County. Thanks very much to both of you for helping us understand this. It's our pleasure. Very welcome. Still, still to come. Remembering Shirley Gibson and marking the 20th anniversary of the city she founded, Miami Gardens. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. This week, the funeral was held for Shirley Gibson, the former mayor, the first mayor of the city she helped create back in 2003, Miami Gardens. Back then, she faced a host of forces that wanted to block its incorporation. But today, it's the largest predominantly black city in Florida and the third largest city, period, in Miami-Dade County. This year, Miami Gardens is celebrating its 20th anniversary, a milestone that is due largely to the vision and tenacity of Gibson, who died October 16th at the age of 79. It's been a challenging 20 years, socially and economically, but these days Miami Gardens' crime and poverty rates, for example, are lower than Miami-Dade's as a whole. And the future on balance looks good for the city that, will remind you, is home to Hard Rock Stadium and the Miami Dolphins. In fact, Thanks to Shirley Gibson's insistence, when the networks broadcast Dolphins home games, they make sure to tell folks they're coming to you from Miami Gardens. Do you have a special memory of Shirley Gibson? How do you see the future of Miami Gardens? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Joining me now to remember Shirley Gibson and talk about the Miami Gardens project she started 20 years ago is Democratic State Representative Felicia Robinson, who represents Miami Gardens, and Democratic State Senator Chevron Jones, whose district also includes Miami Gardens. Welcome. It's great to have both of you here. 
Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Representative Robinson, you worked as a Miami Garden City Council member with Shirley Gibson when she was mayor. And I should remind folks, Gibson was mayor of Miami Gardens from its founding in 2003 until 2012. You obviously knew her well. Give us an idea of what drove her with so much determination to create the city of Miami Gardens. I mean, before that, she had been a Miami-Dade police officer, right? Yes. And so one of the things that drove her that I think was major, besides just being smart and someone that's a hardworking worker, she was a visionary. Right. She had vision. And that vision just continuously inspired her and pushed her forward. So when people said things weren't possible, she didn't see it that way. She she saw something else and she always would work towards getting it done. Mm-hmm. Um what were some of the other I, qualities as a person that she could bring, uh, qualities that were necessary to bring to the table for accomplishing something like that, besides just, you know, the vision? Well, one, being a team player, you know, being able to get a team to to, to, to buy into your vision and to work as hard as you, you were willing to work to get this done. Um, I think that well, I always I sat on the second council and Mayor Gibson was a major part in that. She was the person that started the city, but she just didn't let it go there. For me to even think about getting into this world of politics, it came through her. Mm-hmm. Just having conversation with her, motivating you. I was somewhat fresh out of college, wasn't really was in my educational career and wasn't really thinking about uh, being in politics, but I did care about my community. Right. And, she, and so she, she saw that in people and she was willing to uh, mentor you and bring that out because she knew that the city had to go on. So she knew how to motivate people to follow the vision she had. Those are the two, two very important qualities, obviously. Senator Jones, let me ask you the same question. What do you feel is the most important thing about Shirley Gibson, the person that made her the leader who made the Miami Gardens Project a reality? Yeah, I think uh, she wasn't a politician. She was a public servant. And she knew the difference mm-hmm. between the two. Uh, people followed her more because of, of her being that public servant. She she did not want power. She wanted to ensure that people had access. She wanted to ensure that the community where she lived and where she her children were being raised in was the same type of community that other people and their children uh, had experienced. Um, when, when Mayor Gibson became the mayor, I was in my freshman year of college at Florida A&M University, and my dad was serving as mayor of the city of West Park. Mm-hmm. And so her and my dad were serving at the same time. So I had two two opportunities to see what leadership look, looked like in public service looked like from her um, as a as the mayor of Miami Gardens is from my dad when he was the mayor of West Park, who they too used to work very well together, considering that they were uh, right a county line next to each other. Why, Senator, why was the vision of Miami Gardens so important to her, especially in terms of what it could do to advance the black community here? Well, because there was always, and Representative Robinson saw, uh, said it best, uh, because there were a group of people who saw what the vision of what Carroll City, which it used to be called, uh-huh. what, what it could what it could be, uh, and they be- they believed in that. They saw the at that time the Joe Robbie Stadium coming around, and they saw the Holiday Inn that was on County Line Road and what that was, and they saw this vision. You had all the, this land and this this city, and look at the history of Car- of, of Miami Gardens. The history of Miami Gardens of those individuals 
who were born and raised in the Liberty City area, who came up into this, it came up into the Carroll City area. That wasn't as if the, that community was not developed. It just was unorganized. And so you had a group of individuals who wanted to bring some organization to a city that could thrive and that is now thriving. Mm -hmm. uh, Representative Robinson, why do you feel the, the, the vision of Miami Gardens was so important to her in, in, in the terms that uh, Senator Jones and I were just talking about? And I would just really add, echo what he was saying. So I'm a one that grew up in the city of Miami Gardens my entire life. But whereas back in the day, people would may have said um, we were a low-income community, it wasn't so. We were a middle-class community. I mean, my mm -hmm. mom was a nurse. We had right. principals, teachers. We had hardworking people. We had people that owned homes. We didn't have, you know, however, we weren't, like he said, organized. I grew up on a street that the house I live in, my grandfather built, my aunt lives right next door, but we didn't have sidewalks. Mm -hmm. But yet we were paying taxes and doing everything that everyone else in the city in Miami were doing or in Miami-Dade County were doing, but a lot of our communities didn't have sidewalks. Right. So different things like that, we were saying we deserve to have those same things. Our mm -hmm. money is just as valuable. Right. And another thing that she really wanted to point out was that we we have a community of excellence. So we didn't mm -hmm. just want to be a city. And this is something she would always say. We wanted to be a community. Right. So mm -hmm. when we, although we, we were making sure we had the infrastructure, it was also important for us to really build that community amongst our residents mm -hmm. to bring one in, bring us in together and to show that we really care and that if we were together and we believed it, we can have it. Now, that was something she would always say. Now, she and the city's other founders faced more than a few obstacles in the effort to incorporate <laughs> Miami Gardens at the time. Um, I want to ask both of you, first, Representative Robinson, what, what do you recall were the biggest challenges she had to overcome? Well, one of the things that was always stated when they had tried to incorporate previously is that we didn't have enough money to maintain. Right. There, was, there wasn't enough of an ample tax base there. Right. Exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. But that wasn't so. Um, and so we knew it wasn't so because we were here living it. So it was more of a challenge just to get people to buy in. I actually remember because I had just graduated from college a couple of years before. And a part of the process was to get the residents to sign petitions. So mm -hmm. I remember actually knocking on doors and talking to people to get them to sign petitions so that we could actually get on the ballot and to have those conversations with residents and tell them, tell them what was being said and them knowing that, hey, no, we do make enough money was right. very interesting and very important. Mm -hmm. now, um, I would I, say after we got incorporated, something that was a challenge was we didn't have our own police station at po police at a, t at, at a certain right. time. And I, and I, I do I do want to get to that 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 police issue. Uh, uh, but just quickly, Senator Jones, I also wanted to ask you, she also faced the opposition of Wayne Hizanga, the owner of the of the stadium there, you know, at, at the time. Uh, how did she end up winning over the likes of him? Uh, to 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 get the incorporation pushed through. Well, I think that the, uh, Mayor Gibson at that time knew the, the importance of building coalition, um, and I think that's one one of the things that she that she did. And I think the people actually spoke for Mr. Heisinger, 
um, at that time. And then you also had County Commissioner at that time, Betty Ferguson, who was sitting on the County Commission, who was a resident, who was a resident of, of Miami Garden. So you, you, you had the advocates of the people, but you also had a voice that was on that was on the commission. I think that was actually uh, part part for the reason of, of why the city was able to push through a lot of even the naysayers who did not want the city of Miami Gardens to flourish the way it did. I'm Tim Padgett. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're remembering Shirley Gibson and talking about the city she helped create, Miami Gardens. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Representative Robinson, Then I, I want to return then to the, what you just brought up. Um, would it be fair to say that the development of the Miami Gardens police force, which was recently hailed for significantly bringing down the city's crime rate, is that one of the hallmarks of her legacy, especially given that her earlier career had been as a police officer? I would say yes. I mean, there are several, but yes, I definitely would say that um, ensuring that we had our own police force was very, it was major. And um, she was very intentional, very strategic about building and bringing on um, our police force. And when we first, again, just at the beginning, you know, there were those that did not appreciate it, didn't think that it was a wise decision. But as you can see now today, it, it showed that her vision, her strength, her knowledge proved to do the city well. Mm -hmm. Senator Jones, I remember also, for example, uh, and I, I covered it at, at, at the time, how hard Miami Gardens got hit by the subprime mortgage disaster during the Great Recession. How did she, and, and she was mayor at that time, how did she help pull the city out of that crisis? You know what? I, I was not. I w I'm not privy to to that. Re Representative Robinson. Okay, let, let me let, let me put that question to Representative Robinson. Then. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. So one of the things that the city did, the city actually did a lawsuit. They came together and they actually put forth a lawsuit um, against some of these lenders, these predatory. I, lenders. I remember Wells Fargo <laughs> was one of them. Yes. And yeah. yeah. And then we all, and so that that think that played a major part because then it let them know that we just weren't going to stand for it. But then on top of that, again, coming to our residents, it, it it allowed the residents to see that they were in a city that was going to fight for them and that they weren't in alone. That we all were going to do it together. Um, I think uh, Senator Jones said it. You know, she didn't always just think of her. She didn't think of herself as a politician. She always resonated with the city with the people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that was her vision to ensure that hey we're not going to just do things uh the traditional way right. we're going to do things that's best for our community it may not be what used to be done but this is the way we're going to do it and time mm -hmm. after time after time it proved to work senator Senator Jones, in your social media tribute to Shirley Gibson, you also pointed out that she put Miami Gardens on the map with cultural events like jazz mm -hmm. in the gardens. And in fact, mm -hmm. to remind folks, I think a saxophone tribute was played at her funeral this yeah, week mm -hmm. uh, in, in remembrance mm -hmm. of that. Senator, what was that part of her vision? Why was that part of her vision so critical to the city's development? Yeah, because uh, Mayor Gibson and the commission at that time, they, they wanted to show that 
that Miami Gardens was was more than just what people thought it was. And and they wanted to show the culture. They wanted to show the, the number of Bahamians and uh, Jamaicans and the Hispanics who lived in that area to show that we were culturally diverse. And so you look at Jazz in the Gardens where uh, in that first year, they only sold sold 200 tickets mm-hmm. and gave away a thousand tickets and look right. at look at jazz and gardens now it's probably one of the largest music festivals that we have down here in south florida which mm-hmm. brings people from across the country uh here they wanted to show that and i think and now if you ride through miami gardens i tell people all the time we're the next atlanta we are the next atlanta that we I mean, everything is is thriving it's it's vibing. You have a new development that's happening with hotels right across the street mm-hmm. from Top Golf. Mm-hmm. All of this is happening. Everyone wants to be in Miami Gardens, and I'm happy right. to represent. <laughs> in the couple of minutes we and have I left, was, I'm sorry. Go ahead, oh, representative. No, I just wanted to add that one of the things that really stood out for me for Jazz and Gardens, it was a genius idea, but yep. it became our branding. Mm-hmm. It it where you know you may say other things about Miami Gardens that may not have been pleasant and nice. You could mm-hmm. never say anything about Jazz and Garden. We would have a three-day weekend where we would mm-hmm. have 50,000 people or more here and not mm-hmm. have anything negative. Everything was great. And as it grew, it just continued to brand our city. I think it even allowed for us to now be the home of the Tennis Open mm-hmm. and Formula mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. and Rolling Loud and all these other things that now are being hosted in the city of Miami Gardens, right. because it all started with that one event in, that brought out. In, in, the, in the one minute we have left here, I wanted to ask both of you, um, as Miami Gardens celebrates its 20th anniversary, an anniversary due largely to her Shirley Gibson's vision, what would you both say has been the city's biggest accomplishment as a result of her legacy? Uh, Representative Robinson, let me start with you. Um, I would say just overall, the growth that we've shown proving others wrong, maintaining. Now we have a $154 million budget and we've done great with it. So right. I think her legacy is um, mm-hmm. is continually, continuously moving forward. Senator Jones, in 30 seconds, your your response found, to that? The leadership and foundation that she said, it is, it is still moving to this day. All the, the council, they are moving in the spirit of Shirley Gibson and that same spirit will linger for years to come. Thank you. Chevron Jones is the state senator representing Miami Gardens. Felicia Robinson is the state representative from Miami Gardens. Thanks very much to you both. Thank you. Still to come, Venezuela has a new opposition presidential candidate, but can she bring down a dictatorship? This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. The future of Venezuela depends on these elections. We need to get Maduro out of power. And there is a lot of optimism. That was Venezuelan expat Beko Mora, a realtor in Miami, after he voted last Sunday in the Venezuelan opposition's presidential primary election. Optimism is not a word we've heard in a long time from the large Venezuelan diaspora here in South Florida, but thousands of expats like Mora were feeling pretty upbeat at the voting center in Doral. Most supported Maria Corina Machado, a conservative former Venezuelan congresswoman who won the primary with a massive 93% of the vote. 
But can Machado defeat Venezuela's authoritarian socialist regime in next year's general election? In fact, will Venezuelan president slash dictator Nicolas Maduro even let her run? Venezuela continues to suffer the worst humanitarian crisis in modern South American history. But even though Maduro agreed to election reforms last week meant to make the 2024 election more fair and transparent, will his brutal regime really allow its overthrow at the polls? Should Venezuelans like Mr. Mora really be optimistic? What do you think? Could Venezuela finally be headed toward regime change? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Joining me now from Fort Lauderdale to discuss Venezuelans' reasons for optimism and pessimism is Adelis Ferro. She's director of the nonprofit Venezuelan American Caucus. Ade, welcome. Thank you so much. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. No, thanks for being here. So let's talk about that new optimism Venezuelans like Beko Mora there in my introduction are feeling about the chances for restoring democracy in their country. Why would you say they're more hopeful right now after, frankly, feeling rather hopeless in recent years? Um, I I wouldn't use the word optimism, but I, I use the word expectant. I think there is a reason to 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 believe that different things can happen. I don't know how much of those things will be absolutely the ones that we are expecting to happen, mm-hmm. but I think uh the the recent negotiations, the recent uh um agreements signed in Barbados, I think uh those are different steps that finally have been made after all of these years without any hope for, uh, or, or any doing anything different. Right. Uh, there, have, there, have uh, been, there have been some actual breakthroughs lately, that, and that's really different. That's, that's something that can push for something different to happen, and that's the reason for many of us to have some optimism, yes. Mm-hmm. Because of that awful humanitarian crisis in Venezuela that I mentioned earlier, which is the fault of Maduro's disastrous regime, more than a fifth of the Venezuelan population has fled the country in recent years. Most of them are trying to come here. So has that massive immigration emergency made it more urgent for the Biden administration to push for re- regime change now in Venezuela? Um I think I think yes. The, the the short answer is yes. I want to say something. Sure. The humanitarian crisis started as early as 2013, way long right. before President Obama uh, put the first sanctions on the Venezuelan regime. Mm-hmm. I myself, and you know that, were working since 2014, sending humanitarian aid, medicine, right. specifically specific medicines for cancer patients, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, to Venezuela. Having said that, I think, uh, uh, and I say that because the reason of this exodus is not really the sanctions. It is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, is is the incompetence and 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 the the worst management ever of the situation. Oh no, and that and that's why I mentioned that this this crisis is the fault of the exactly. regime. Um, so, and we we can debate the we can debate the the problem in Cuba, for example. But when it comes to Venezuela, the the the, the onus rests on the shoulders of the regime. 
Absolutely. Right. And and uh, and even though obviously some sanctions has made some things more difficult, mm-hmm. uh, it was something it exist it it, exi- it, it did exist way before the sanctions. Right. So uh, having said that, yes, the the humanitarian crisis that Venezuela suffered has been uh, uh, more than seven million people crossing the 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 continent, many of them to to reach the United States, obviously is a problem for this country. Right. Because even though it's a country of immigrants and has uh, and try to to handle it the best way possible, knowing that we have an an uh, an, an immigration system that is completely broken for decades now. That's another program. Yeah. But uh, knowing that they are trying to I, I believe that uh, and in some ways, in some ways, it's fair that they try to see what they can do in- to avoid this influx of people right. that suffer so much now, on the road. As I mentioned, Maria Corina Machado won Sunday's opposition primary election with 93 percent of the vote. And I'm sure she probably got that share of the vote from Venezuelan expats here in South Florida, too, where she's where she's very popular. Why has Machado emerged as the candidate so many Venezuelans believe can defeat the Maduro regime? Because she's not part of the status quo. Mm -hmm. Because she's, even though she's not a new face, because she has been actually in the in politics, right? First with Sumate, and and then by herself, Mm -hmm. her own platform, Vente, Vente Venezuela. I think uh, she's not the same face that we have been. Uh, um, been, lead, been led by all these years. So I think the fact that she has been very consistent, and I have to say that very consistent with her, uh, with her, uh, with her speech and with her talkers about the government, and um, she has been all the time saying the same stuff over and over again. I think make people believe that she can be the change and 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 the person that can actually crystallize mm-hmm. uh, the the wishes and and the needs of of many Venezuelans. But the real question is, will the Maduro regime let Machado be the opposition candidate in next year's presidential election? Earlier this year, the regime banned Machado from running for political office for 15 years because of really questionable, quote, corruption charges against her. But the Biden administration is now telling Maduro that if he doesn't let Machado on the ballot for next year's election, the U.S. will reapply the oil sanctions against Venezuela that it lifted last week when Maduro agreed to election reforms. Do you think, Adi, that the Maduro regime will give in and let Machado run next year? Oof, if I uh, if I will have that answer, I will be something. So, um, so would I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think a Maduro regime is, a, is in a very delicate position right now because they need uh, those sanctions to stay lift. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, uh, lifting the 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 prohibition over Maria Corina Machado is something that they know could be the the end of their All regime. Right. They're very spooked by that. I mean, and it was a it was a bad sign this week when the regime said it's investigating the opposition primary election for quote fraud. Is it obviously doing that because it's the regime is afraid of the massive support Machado has and it wants to have an excuse for not letting her run next year? 
they were not expecting uh, as many people as it show up to vote. Right. And I, al almost two and a half million people in Venezuela and around the world voted in the in the primary on Sunday. Right. And that number and that number is true. I went to vote and I vote like in not kidding, 10 seconds. It was yeah. really fast. Mm -hmm. And I know my mother went to vote in, in Caracas and it was really fast too long lines they were not expecting that and they were very surprised and now now they're panicking yeah they are panicking and that's a good thing that's that's one reason to be optimistic because they're gonna have to make a move it could be a bad move but you know things are gonna are going to develop from there and i think yeah. this is important at least we're not stuck on this in the same place mm -hmm. hopefully right I'm Tim Padgett. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're talking about the Venezuelan opposition's primary election and whether the winning candidate, Maria Corina Machado, can defeat Venezuela's dictatorship in next year's general election. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Ade, let's talk a little bit more about Machado herself. She's known, as you pointed out, for being a courageous opposition leader in Venezuela, but not always the most prudent. I mean, her critics have said that she's made some very stubborn mistakes of judgment in the past, like leading election boycotts that have only helped strengthen the regime. She also opposed negotiating with the regime to get it to agree to a more fair and transparent presidential election next year. So even though she's admired for being aggressive against the regime, does she need to be a little wiser now if she's going to be a successful presidential candidate? And I think she knows that. And uh, I think it is important for us and especially Venezuelans that are listening to this program, that we need to stop believing in these uh, uh, powerful uh, um, leaders that have uh, no uh, uh, mistakes and they're going to be perfect. I think at this point, uh, Maria Corina Machado, after all of these years and all of these decisions, which myself hasn't been, uh, hasn't agreed with, uh all during all of these uh, uh years uh, i think she should know better by now and i think she does i think she's realizing what it takes to uh um advance uh, in mm -hmm. to, to to make some progress in this process and hopefully uh she will uh, make the the decisions that she has to make and hopefully because I I think she said it a couple of days ago when she was uh, recognized at the, as the winner. Mm -hmm. And to make a coalition of leadership in order to unite, to get the opposition united behind right. her or alone her or right. with her. Mm -hmm. This is the most, I think that's the most important thing that she has to do. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the time for diplomacy, is the time for negotiations. I'm not saying it's going to work, as you know. Right. But I think at this point, it's our, our only hope, mm -hmm. and, and we should push for it. Now, I should remind our listeners that you are a Democrat and you support President Biden. And I know you have supported his efforts to push for more negotiation between the Maduro regime and the Venezuelan opposition to make a fair election happen next year. Those talks have been very difficult, as you pointed out, often frustrating. They always are when you're dealing with a dictatorship. But in your opinion, Adi, would, would we be where we are at this moment if not for those talks? Oh, no. Oh, no. 
there will be no primaries whatsoever. No, for sure. Without Barbados and without the negotiations with uh, the Biden administration or the U.S. government, more, U.S. government more than Biden administration itself, I think we wouldn't have been able to have the primaries. And that's mm -hmm. something I think many Venezuelans already recognize it. Mm -hmm. So I think I think that was a big step, but it was the first step. The right. very first step, there is a long road ahead of us. But as I told you before, even of the record, sometimes for me, the definition of insanity, as Einstein used to say, is doing the same thing, expecting different results. We right. are trying different things. I'm not saying it's going to work, but at least we are trying different things to make a difference and to make progress. So right. mm -hmm. let's see what happens. I, I don't right. trust Maduro regime at all. Right. I must say that too. No, no, no. <laughs> Few people <laughs> do. Adelis Ferro is executive director of the nonprofit Venezuelan American Caucus. Ade, thanks as always. Thank you. Thank you, team. Have a great weekend. You Thank too. you so much. Finally on the roundup, Tuesday is Halloween. Maybe you've seen the new movie A Haunting in Venice. Well, how about a haunting in Havana. Havana Haunted Mansion. Travel back to 1900s for a mysterious journey through a grand estate with a dark history. Actually, that would be the Curtis Mansion in Miami Springs, where the Havana Haunted Mansion attraction has been spooking folks since last month. Think of it as a theatrical Halloween cocktail party set in an early 20th century Havana mansion where casino intrigue and dark magic lead to a lot of folks' disappearances. Havana Haunted Mansion caught our eye because it's not your typical haunted house for this time of year, and there's no lack of interest here about old Havana. But it's not for kids. You've got to be 21 to enter. There are three two-hour show per night, and it runs through, of course, October 31st. That'll do it for the South Florida Roundup. It's produced by Helen Acevedo with help from Polly Landis. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. Katie Munoz is our director of original live programming. Our director of enterprise journalism is Jessica Bakeman. Mateo Sanchez is digital editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's vice president of news. The vice president of radio and the show's technical uh, supervisor excuse me, is Peter J. Maers. Richard Ives answers the phones. I'm Tim Paget. Have a great weekend and thanks for listening. Gracias, Messi, obrigado. WLRN Public Media.